It is good to be here this morning. I want to spend a moment talking about next week before we move on to what we're going to be talking about this week. Next week is a special Sunday here at Netherwood Park. It is the Sunday when we honor our high school graduates. We have three high school graduates this year, not a very large class, but it's full of quality. Um, So we're really glad to be able to honor them. As part of that, we'll have combined worship service next Sunday, so this early service will not meet Bible class will be at its regular time, and then we'll have a combined worship service during what's normally the late worship service. Following that, we'll have a potluck. We'll we'll continue to celebrate those graduates over in the gym. We'll eat together. Um, We'll be able to give them cards and let them know how much we appreciate them and, and how much we appreciate this accomplishment in their lives and celebrate with their family. So please plan on being here next week to be a part of that. You can find out more about that on the back of your bulletin. Also next week, we'll have a combined Bible class, adult Bible class. Um, All the adult Bible classes will meet here in the auditorium uh, because we have the honor of having Brad Carter from African Christian College who will be with us to talk about the work that they do there, a work that we have supported for a number of years. Um, Also tell us about the 50th um, anniversary of that school that's going on at this time. So please plan on being here for Bible class as well. Um, everybody together here in the auditorium so we can hear Brad talk to us about the good work that's going on at African Christian College. Um, there's some things that I want you to know about this church, about Netherwood Park Church of Christ. One of the things that you need to know about us is that we are a Bible reading and Bible studying church. That's why we have Bible classes every Sunday. That's why we have Bible reading challenges to encourage all of us to daily be in the Word, uh, to hold us accountable for our Bible reading and Bible study. We have something that's called the Project 9K Challenge here at Netherwood Park this year. We have challenged ourselves in 2017 to read at least 9,000 books of the Bible collectively And I want to give you an update about that. So far, we've read 1,757 books of the Bible on our way to 9,000 or more. So keep up the good work. And if you're not a part of this challenge, I want to encourage you to start now. It's never too late to start reading in your Bible and reporting your results and being a part of this challenge. Something else I want you to know about us is that we are a baptizing church. We believe in the power of baptism. We believe that it's through baptism that we join with Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So we too can rise up and live a new life. So if you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you haven't been baptized, we would love to talk to you about that. You can take one of the green, car- one of the green cards that you'll find in front of you. On the back of it, you'll see uh, something that says Next Steps. You can fill out your information there, check the box about baptism, and we will contact you, and we'll have a conversation about baptism. Something else you need to know is that we are a praying church. We believe in the power of prayer. You'll hear us pray a lot. You'll see prayer requests in our bulletins um, as part of our email list, Netherwood News and Notes. We're constantly sending out prayer requests And so we want to know about your prayer needs. We want to know about the needs that you have in your life or the needs that others that you know and and love have in their life. So if there are prayer requests that you know about that you would like for this congregation or just its eldership to pray about, you can also use the same green card. You can fill out um, that prayer request. You can drop it in one of the collection boxes, and we will honor that request. There are two collection boxes at the back of the auditorium 
and there's one through these double doors. And finally, I want you to know that we believe that it's important that every Christian is a member of a local congregation. Obviously, we think that you should be a member of this congregation, but you should be a member of a local congregation. It's important that that you kind of hitch your wagon, if you will, to a group of people so that you can work and worship and serve with them. It's important that you identify with an eldership so that you can be led by them. So if you've been attending here for a while and you haven't yet placed membership here at Netherwood Park, we'd like to encourage you to do that. Again, on the next steps part of this card, if you just fill out your contact information, check the box about being a member of this church and we'll contact you to talk to you about that as well. So please take advantage of all of those kind of things. It's very important in in the life of this church and the life of you as an individual Christian that you pray, that you study, that you're baptized and that you are a part of a local congregation. Well, today we're going to continue to talk about Peter. Last week we talked about Peter as he was restored by Jesus Christ. And now we're going to talk about Peter as he is transformed. And not just Peter, but also John and the other apostles. And as we get ready to do that, let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, we thank you for being the God who restores. Father, we thank you for being the God who transforms. And Father, our prayer this morning is that we will, people who have been restored, people who are transformed, and people who never stop believing, never stop teaching, and never stop proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, if you were here last week or if you have listened to the sermon podcast of last week's lesson, you know that we ended our series out of John's Gospel and we ended it by focusing on Jesus putting Peter back together again. And Peter needed to be put back together again because he fell apart under pressure while he was in the high priest's courtyard. He fell apart when a servant girl questioned him about being one of Jesus' followers. And Peter said, I am not with Jesus. I am not with I am. And then we saw in John's ending, after his ending, we saw Jesus restore Peter. And he did that by building on Peter's love for Jesus and by shifting Peter's focus from his failure to his future. We saw Jesus give Peter a mission, a mission to feed his sheep. And you might also remember that I said that we just couldn't leave Peter there. We couldn't leave Peter there without seeing if Peter would actually embrace his mission. We couldn't leave without seeing whether Peter was not only restored but also transformed by Jesus. We couldn't leave without seeing if Peter was a different man after the empty tomb than the man he was before the empty tomb when he was in the courtyard talking to the servant girl. Well, why do I think it's so important that we not leave Peter there? Why do I think it's so important that we see whether or not Peter and the other apostles were actually transformed from who they were before the cross to different people After the cross. Well I want you to know. I think it's very important. 
Because in many ways, my faith in Jesus Christ rests on the transformation of Peter and the other apostles. It rests on the transformation of Peter and John and the other nine men who were with Jesus before the cross and were with him again after the empty tomb. I think that their transformation is important to us because one of the main reasons that I am able to confidently stand before you on Easter morning and declare that he is risen is because of the transformation of Peter and John and the other apostles. The transformation from who they were before the cross into very different men after the empty tomb. So I'm going to spend the rest of our time together today explaining why the transformation of those men then is so important to our faith now. We'll explore why the transformation in the lives of those who saw and believed is so important to those of us who believe now without seeing To help us get started down that path, I'm going to spend just a couple of more minutes in the Gospel of John. I'll be in John chapter 20. And as we pick up the narrative, John has told us about Jesus appearing to Mary outside the empty tomb. And John has recounted Jesus' appearance to all of the apostles except Thomas in a locked room. And he's also told us that when the other disciples told Thomas what they saw and what he had missed, Thomas earns his unfortunate nickname, Doubting Thomas, by saying this in verse 25. Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. Well, a week later, Thomas gets his wish. A week later, Jesus once more appears to the apostles, and this time Thomas is there. And Jesus invites him to do exactly what he said he needed to do in order to believe. But Thomas just responds in belief and says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen And yet have believed. And that's where we find ourselves, right? That's who we are. None of us have seen the events that John writes about. We are those who have not seen. And we have to decide if we're going to believe those who claim to have seen. If we're going to believe those like John and Peter. As John went on to say in chapter 20, he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So why should we believe? Why should we believe John and why should we believe Matthew and Mark and Luke? Why should we believe Paul? Why should we believe Peter? Many of you have probably heard the term apologetics. Apologetics is all about giving people reasons to believe that the story told by John and by Matthew and Mark and Luke and the others 
about giving reasons for people to believe that their story about Jesus Christ is true. The technical definition of apologetics is this. It's the branch of theology concerned with the defense or proof of Christianity. So when I offer an apology for my belief that Jesus is risen, that he is risen indeed, I'm not saying I'm sorry that Jesus has risen. What I'm doing is I'm offering a defense for why I believe that to be true. I'm offering evidence for why I believe that Jesus is risen and for why you should believe it as well. And sometimes that evidence is biblical evidence. For example, we've been studying the book of John. Sometimes that evidence comes from other sources, archaeological sources, historical sources, scientific sources. And all of those sources are important elements of developing an apology for presenting proof, presenting evidence for the divinity of Jesus Christ. And I believe that all of those archaeological and scientific and historical sources are very good things for us to have. Very good things for us to know and study. But I want you to believe, I don't believe they are necessary for me to be able to confidently say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. You see, I believe that the very best evidence of the truth of the empty tomb is found in the Bible. And specifically in the transformation of Peter and the other apostles. To help me explain why I believe that's true, I'm going to take a little detour here. And I'm going to introduce you to one of my granddads. This will make sense in a moment, I think. This is a picture of me. And some other guys. No, it's a picture of me and my granddad and my older brother Warren on top of some nameless horse. I'm the cute guy at the front. When this picture was taken, my granddad, John Lane, better known to me as Papa Lane, had no idea what was about to develop. He didn't know it, but cancer was developing in his larynx, in his voice box. That cancer resulted in a total laryngectomy. His entire voice box was removed. That separated his airway from his mouth and his nose and his esophagus. It left him with a hole in his throat, technically known as a stoma. And through that hole in his throat, he breathed for the rest of his long life. I can't remember a time that my granddad, that Papa Lane, didn't have that hole in his throat. And my granddad, my Papa Lane, was a wonderful granddad. He was a fascinating man. But I want you to know, for a young boy, there was nothing more fascinating about my granddad than that hole in his throat. In fact, I can remember having conversations out on the playground when boys are bragging like boys do, and I would one-up my friends by telling them about my granddad. They'd brag about whatever they wanted to brag. And I'd say, well, yeah, but my granddad has a hole in his throat. And then I would tell him, and he talks by burping. And that got their attention. But most impressive of all, I told him, 
My granddad even blows his nose through his throat. And looking back on it, I'm pretty sure that most of my friends really didn't believe those stories. They didn't believe those stories because they hadn't seen the hole in my granddad's throat for themselves. But if they'd been paying careful attention, they would have had reason to believe my story about my granddad. And the reason that they could have believed my stories about my granddad, because that hole in Papa Lane's throat changed me. It transformed me. Because every time that he caught me staring at the hole in his throat, which was frequently, he would look me in the eye and say something to the effect of, don't you ever smoke, or this could happen to you. I didn't smoke. When my friends were experimenting with cigarettes, I didn't join in. Because when I saw a cigarette, I saw a hole in Papa Lane's throat. That hole changed me. It shaped my behavior. The reality of the hole in my granddad's throat could be seen in my behavior, in my avoidance of cigarettes and smoking. Well, now back to Peter and the other apostles. See, I maintain that we can see the reality of the empty tomb through their behavior. Specifically through how their behavior changed after they saw the reality of the empty tomb and the reality of the risen Jesus. We might call this behavioral apology or transformational apology. Evidence of the empty tomb. It's the same logic used by Gamaliel, the great Jewish teacher that we heard about in our scripture reading. You see, the Jewish leaders were at a loss. They didn't know what to do about Peter and John and the other apostles because they insisted on teaching that he is risen. He is risen indeed. And Gamaliel stopped the leaders from killing the apostles by using this logic. He said, other men have come before claiming to be something, and they've attracted followers to them. And they were killed. And then their followers scattered. And their movements amounted to nothing. And now, Gamaliel pointed out, this Jesus has come. He's appeared on the scene claiming to be something, and he's attracted these men to him as followers. And Jesus has been killed. And he says, mark my words, if Jesus' movement is from men, his followers are going to be scattered. And this movement will amount to nothing. But in his wisdom, Gamaliel also says, but if he's from God, if Jesus is from God, if this movement is from God, if these men, his followers are from God, there's nothing that you can do about it because you'll find yourselves fighting against God. So his advice was just watch. Wait and watch and see what happens. And if nothing happens, then we know that Jesus was from men. But if they cannot be stopped, we know it's from God. Gamaliel gave wise advice. Just like you couldn't get me to start smoking after seeing the hole in my Papa Lane's throat... 
you couldn't get me to start smoking because I knew that that hole came from cancer. And I knew that my granddad's cancer came from smoking. And Gamaliel knew that if Peter and John and the rest of the apostles hadn't really seen the empty tomb, if they hadn't really seen the risen Christ like they claimed to, when pressure came, they would once more fall apart. And they would be scattered and this movement would amount to nothing. But Gamaliel also knew that if Peter and John and the rest of the apostles, if they truly had seen the empty tomb, if they really had seen the risen Savior, there would be no stopping them. There'd be no stopping this movement. So I want to spend the rest of our time just letting the words of the Bible, through the actions of Peter and John and the other apostles, let the Bible itself offer an apology for the empty tomb by looking at the transformation of Peter and John and the other apostles. And as we do that, I want us to ask ourselves, do these men act like people who are living a lie? Or do these men conduct themselves like people who actually looked in an empty tomb and then saw the risen Christ? And I want us to especially pay attention to Peter. To Peter's behavior and Peter's transformation. Because remember, Peter fell apart. Fell apart in a dark courtyard when confronted by a servant girl. It's Peter that had to be put back together again by Jesus. And Jesus gave him a mission to feed his sheep. And then Peter stood up in front of a large crowd at Pentecost. And the same Peter who couldn't bring himself to say that he was with Jesus to a servant girl, he stands up in front of the crowd and he says this. Acts chapter 2 verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross." But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And Peter continues, verse 32. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This isn't the same Peter who cowered before a servant girl and said, I am not with I am. No, this Peter boldly stands before thousands And he declares that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Christ. I am with the I am. And then Peter, along with John, did this. Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. 
And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. And the next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas and John and Alexander and the other men of the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? They're talking about the fact that they had healed a lame man. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He's the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. So they called them in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. This isn't the same Peter who couldn't bring himself to speak about Jesus when confronted by a servant girl. No, this Peter cannot help speaking about what he has seen and what he has heard. And so even though they've been warned, even though they've been threatened, Peter and John and the other apostles kept on speaking about what they had seen, what they had heard. And so this happened. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. The high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. So at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people And when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. 
But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came up and said, Look, the man you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and he brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. And having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priests. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. And you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to all who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious, and they wanted to put them to death. And that's when Gamaliel stepped in. And he convinced them, the full council of elders, he convinced them that they shouldn't kill the apostles. Because if the tomb wasn't empty, and if Jesus wasn't risen, his followers would eventually scatter, and this movement would die. But if the tomb was empty, and if Jesus was risen, there would be no stopping this movement. So they called the apostles back in. They had them flogged. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then we read in verse 41 that the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching. They never stopped proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This isn't the same Peter. This isn't the same Peter who was afraid to claim Jesus while he was in the chief priest's courtyard. This isn't the same Thomas who doubted the resurrection story. These aren't the same men who scattered in fear after Jesus was arrested. No, these men are changed. These men are transformed. And because of what they've seen and because of what they've heard, these men must obey God. See, these men have witnessed the empty tomb. They have witnessed the risen Christ. So these men leave the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They leave their flogging rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering, suffering disgrace for Jesus' name. And these men never stopped. They never stopped teaching. 
they never stop proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. That's a bold statement, isn't it? To say that they never stop teaching and never stop proclaiming. It's a bold statement, but it's a true statement. Because we know this about those apostles. We know this from the Bible and we know this from historical records and different traditions. We know that they never stopped. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming. Andrew never stopped. And he was tortured and crucified. John's brother James never stopped. He was executed by King Herod. John died in his old age, still teaching and proclaiming. Philip never stopped. He was tortured and crucified. Thomas never stopped. He was run through with a spear. Matthew never stopped, and he was assassinated by King Hyrtacus. James, the son of Alphaeus, never stopped. He was stoned to death. Thaddeus never stopped. He was crucified. Simon the Zealot never stopped. He was crucified. And Peter. Peter never stopped, and he was crucified in Rome. These men never stopped teaching and never stopped proclaiming because they saw the empty tomb. Because they saw the risen Savior. And Gamaliel was exactly right. Killing the apostles didn't stop this movement. And this movement hasn't been stopped for 2,000 years, and it won't be stopped. And the reason that it won't be stopped is because the tomb is empty, and Jesus is risen, because this movement is from God. And that's why I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Christ who restores and the Christ who transforms. So let's be people who behave. Let's be people who live. Let's be people who who act like we've been restored and transformed. As the restored and transformed, may we never stop believing. May we never stop teaching. May we never stop proclaiming that Jesus is the risen Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the God who restores and transforms. And Father, help us to be like Peter and John and the other apostles. Help us to live in the reality of the empty tomb and the reality of the risen Christ that we will never stop believing Never stop teaching. Never stop proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. It's in the name of the risen Christ we pray. Amen. So as people who are restored and people who are transformed, let's end our time together by standing and singing hallelujah to the Lord like people who are transformed. Let's sing together. Stand.